You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hey, 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 people. This is your host, Trevor Windsor. You are listening to episode 104 of the Pure Desire Podcast. I am sitting here with my co-host as always, Nick Stumbo. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, so for our younger listeners who maybe don't know who that is, you're going to have to fill them in. Do you know who it is? I do. Can you tell me to make sure that I did an okay accent? I feel like it's Elvis Presley. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was the goal, yes. The uh, (laughs) kind of iconic uh, Elvis Presley lines after he would be introduced. Yes. Um, I'm going to be honest. It was more of what you said and not how you said it, just full disclosure. But it wasn't a bad, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I was with you. Okay. I was with you. So uh, today... We sat down with one of our favorite people, Heather Kolb, our content uh, manager and neuroscience specialist on really what healthy sexuality is like in a marriage. Yeah, I, I think this is so important because we are, uh, in a sense, opening the door mm-hmm. on a conversation that yep. is left behind closed doors. I mean, it, it is a private act between a, mm-hmm. a married couple, but because of that, too many married couples have just never even been able to talk about it with each other, yep. let alone anyone else. Right. So I hope this episode... Just bring some freedom, mm-hmm. both in conversations they can have with one another, and then maybe where they can turn to get health and wisdom in their life. Yeah. And for any of you who have listened to the podcast before, episode 57, we have a conversation with Bob and Rebecca Vandermeer on sex during recovery. And this is kind of an extension of that episode. This is more, uh, what does healthy sex in your life, in your marriage look like? So enjoy the episode. Heather, thanks for being here. Uh, we are excited. I guess I am excited as a married person to talk about this. We are talking about healthy sex life. Dum, 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 I feel like. <laughs> so thank you for being here and talking about it. Oh, happy to be here. Um, so in the realm of sexuality and relationships, it's super easy to fall prey to the comparison game. Um, I mean, you watch any movie, you listen to any music, everything is being compared to everything else. And I think the same thing happens in relationship when it comes to... Uh, healthy sexuality. And so really, how do we know, not by comparison, that we do um, or don't have a healthy sex life? You know, that is a great question. And we hear that so much in our environment here at Pure Desire that we've even included a table in some of our resources that really just gives some indications of what does unhealthy sexuality look like compared to healthy sexuality. And things like, is it degrading or shaming? Is it something that is only meeting the needs of one person or is it mutually satisfying? You know, those are some of the comparisons that we see and that we hear back from from really healthy couples comparatively. Another thing, too, is looking at really why we're doing what we're doing. You know, is it something that that when it comes to sex, are our needs being met? You know, are they being met in this healthy way? Hmm. Or is it something that we're just using to medicate our pain? Or is it something that we feel you know, comfortable in our sexuality enough so that we'll talk with our spouse about it, you know, that we'll just kind of put ourselves out there and that we take a lot of those risks of being honest and vulnerable. And that right there is a huge indication of where Mm. your sex life is. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm so glad we're doing this podcast because my guess is for most people, we simply don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We didn't grow up in homes Mm -hmm. that talk about it. We don't attend churches that make it a regular part of our preaching or teaching. So there's 
for so many of us, there was just this assumption that you'd get married and figure it out like everybody else did. And so you don't have a context even to, you know, sometimes the comparisons we do have are to such unhealthy or unrealistic comparisons. Mm -hmm. But because we don't have a grounding in something realistic or truthful, we don't even know that we're comparing to something that's totally unrealistic. And so we we get lost really easily in this area. And I, I think if anything comes out of this episode, I hope it's that we'll have people able to engage in this conversation in a healthy way with their spouses or with group members just to have a, a framework for what does a biblical healthy sexuality look like? Because that's the other side of it. You can go to the world totally. and read books or listen to Dr. Yeah. Phil or special guests. And and because they're not coming from a biblical worldview, some of what they teach might be actually counterproductive to mm-hmm. what we're trying to build into our marriages. So mm-hmm. I, I hope we give people some helpful kind of places to start this discussion in their own relationships or if they're married in their own marriage. Uh, I think that this is such an interesting thing, especially in the church. Um, but like I, I definitely, and I've had conversations with you about this. Uh, I've had conversations with other staff too. Like I just naturally think that people are having better sex than I am. Like, and it's not because I feel like, like my relationship with my wife is bad. It's just, I just assume uh, if you've been married for 40 years, that means that sex is like incredible. Maybe not 40 years, maybe like 15 <laughs> or 20 years. I don't know what it's like to be that old. Uh, that was terrible. <laughs> you, people Moving are going to wish, people are so happy <laughs> that I'm probably not cutting this and leaving this the episode. But for me, that's just, that's the thing. I so naturally just assume that mine is, is less or somehow the emotional connection or whatever. So, and I said this at the beginning, I'm super excited to talk about this because I'm just going to glean everything and anything from you guys. So don't screw it up. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's, let's go to the starting point that most couples begin at, and it might be because of some of this comparison game or just the ideals we've bought into in our culture. But Heather, how would you answer this question? That's burning a hole in people's (laughs) minds. How often should couples be having sex? (gasps) There's no magic number. I know, to throw that out there. Such a cop-out answer. Well, it's the truth (laughs) because it's one of those things that it really depends on your season of life. Mm -hmm. So for young couples, for newly married couples, they might be having sex all the time because it's new and exciting and Mm. they're figuring it out and they're willing to take risks. Lots of free time. Exactly, right. And so they have... They have it made sometimes when it comes to sexual experience. But then on the other hand, they don't have that longevity Mm -hmm. that you see with other couples and even couples that are, you know, having kids. That can be a little bit of a rocky road for couples when it comes to their sex life, you know, (laughs) especially for new moms. You know, having sex can be scary and they have to be super intentional with, you know, after that six to eight weeks mark Mm -hmm. that they re-engage with their husband and having sex. That can be really scary. And then at the same time, when your kids get a little bit older, especially when women get to their mid 30s and they reach their sexual peak, that can Mm -hmm. be kind of exciting for parents who have kids. And then even for older couples, you know, there's some, Mm -hmm. you know, really great time, like you were saying, Trevor, that you have all this experience. And so you would expect to have great sex. But then there's things like menopause or erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. that interfere. And so... Really, it has to do with your season of life, I think, more than anything else. I think, like, obviously you've got the hormonal and the physical changes of having mm-hmm. kids. And, I mean, anybody who's listened to the podcast knows that we're in that season. You know, our son is two. 
um, it's not even just those things on the like on the the female side, really, because there's so many changes that happen there. But it's also as you're kind of talking about the emotional intimacy and the connection, mm-hmm. that stuff changes because we're spending so much time and energy pouring into this little guy that by the end of the day we have less energy, right? You're talking about like you have more time, and in my friend group we do make fun of those couples that like have no kids and have two jobs, and there's a code name <laughs> for it and I can't remember it right now. My friends are gonna be so <laughs> upset that I don't remember it, but Dinks. right, right. Double, double, double income, income no, no kids. kids. Yes. It's Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right? We love our children. We love our children. Let's be honest. Like, but I just think that there is that season where a lot of energy is going to other things. And sometimes sex can take that the back burner. And as I've the longer I've been married, we're almost at four years now. The longer I've been married, I've been understanding that that doesn't necessarily dictate the health of the relationship. Right. Like, and I'm so thankful that you're saying that the seasons because it's okay. Like maybe you're in winter and it's like everyone's burrowed inside with blankets on and there's like nothing happening, and that's okay. That and for me, I, I'm even saying this and and trying to internalize it. That doesn't mean that relationship is poor or that right. I'm somehow a, a subpar husband because my wife doesn't want to like jump my bones every 10 seconds, that doesn't mean anything as far as the health of our relationship. Right, exactly. And while I agree completely with that idea of seasons of life and where we're at, I think we have to be careful too that that doesn't actually become a shaming or condemning Mm -hmm. voice for for us because I've talked to a lot of young couples that they get married and it's not easy. For Mm -hmm. some reason, it's, it's hard to connect or it's painful or... Um, she's got emotional baggage or he does, or he's got this sex addiction he's brought mm-hmm. in. I mean, there can be all sorts of things, family of origin issues, you name it, yep. that right. might make a young couple's sex life difficult. Right. But if they feel like, well, we're young marrieds and we're in a season of life, and Heather just said, they're having sex all the time <laughs> right. and we're not, what's wrong with us? Yeah. Yeah. And yep. that can be the very thing that maybe keeps them in hiding because they don't know how to face that that ideal that we're not what we should be. Right. I think some of the greatest advice I got um, at our wedding, just a, a relative that said, you know, on your honeymoon, be patient with each other. Mm-hmm. Just that idea of being patient. And what that meant to me, and as I thought of it now for almost 20 years, like that meant take time to get to know yourself and your spouse mm-hmm. and how you relate. And whatever it is, it is. Don't mm-hmm. don't try to meet up to some season of life expectation or what you believe others are be okay with where you're at. And then if if you find you're in a season of life where you're not connecting, you know, be willing to ask questions. If if there's a medical issue, to be willing to face that. If there is an addiction issue, being willing to get help with that. If if there's pain involved or emotional things, uh, that if you can have the conversation and face it, don't let your season of life condemn you Mm because the other flip side of it might be a young couple with kids are just like, well, we never have sex because we never have energy. It's like, well, but maybe you should be thinking about how to prioritize that a little yeah. bit, how to create some date nights, right. how to create some space yeah. where you do feel like it because it's part of a, a healthy relationship that you don't want to just excuse, well, you know, I'll see you in 10 years in bed when our kids go to college right? <laughs> yeah. because that relationship won't be very strong. Right. So yes, we want to acknowledge the reality of our season of life, but also not let it kind of become something that condemns us and leads us into unhealthy behavior. So off, completely off topic of, of the types of questions that we have, I just have a random question kind of in the middle. You've heard people, I've heard people say that, like I've heard two perspectives. One, um, like look at the bedroom and you'll be able to tell how healthy a couple is. Or um, if it's really healthy, the, the relationship, then it'll be healthy in the bedroom. And it, it, for me, it's kind of this like spectrum of understanding that 
Is it something that that's where intimacy starts? Is that the end of intimacy? Like, where is that gauge when it comes? Like, basically, my question is, what really is the role of sex in a healthy relationship? So I think that that's a great question because a lot of people think that if we're having great sex, then we're having a, then we have a great relationship, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. In fact, in I think the healthiest relationships, you'll find that their emotional intimacy and their emotional health is so great and so connected that then their sex life is a reflection of that relationship. Mm -hmm. It really, I think that that they have to go together. And emotional health and emotional intimacy often precedes a great sex life. So I've heard people say that if you are, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm not quoting one specific person, I've just heard this perspective that if stuff is not going well in your relationship, like the bedroom can be a restart. I've heard that said before. So is that a thing? Yes or no? I personally, I would be careful with that yeah. only because it depends on why you're restarting. Yeah. So, and that is a great question because a lot of people have that perspective yeah. that, that if, um, what are the three things that it's finances, communication, and sex. Yeah. And that if the, those are the make it or break it topics, usually within a mm -hmm. marriage. And so, you know, if your finances are poor and you're not communicating well, then we're going to have sex and it's going to fix everything. And it doesn't really work yeah. that way because again, you're trying to solve a problem with the, usually the same brain that caused the problems. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think more often than not, couples can use sex as a cover-up for what they should be addressing. Yeah. Right. Where sense. we feel like, well, we had sex three times last week, so we're great, when really maybe all these issues aren't being addressed, and that right. just becomes this kind of false security blanket. I, I do think it's helpful to recognize that kind of there are some gender uniquenesses that um, men can tend to pursue sex because they want to feel connected, where women will pursue sex when they feel connected. Mm -hmm. And so you can see that's an obvious setup for problems in relationship yeah. because we'll tend to go through the lens of what we want, mm -hmm. whereas we need to have that um, selflessness to set aside our wants to say, well, what is it my wife is looking for? Or yeah. what is it that my husband is looking for? Because yeah. if I know what my wife wants is connection mm -hmm. so that she feels in the mood, then I need to be willing to to work on connection. Now, I, I don't want to do it selfishly just right. to get what I yep. need. Yep. But yeah. let's be honest, we're all humans with mixed motives. That if, if that's mixed in there, I can't really help that. I'm, I'm by nature drawn to things that feel good. But if I really have a sincere desire to bless my wife and serve her to say, I, I know she needs connection and sex won't make her feel connected. So how can I work on connection? How can I work on quality time, a good conversation? Because in the long run, that will benefit her and could create the kind of sexual connection I'm looking for. So I, I think for men and women listening, if we're willing to say what what helps my partner, that, mm -hmm. that it might not be what I want, and I'm willing to serve them and look at what they need, it's going to lead to a healthier outcome, I think. Do nothing mm -hmm. out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, right? Mm -hmm. That idea of Philippians, it's good. Okay, um, another super easy, simple question. Um, the question is, is it okay to say no? Yes. So The answer to the question is <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Good. So is it okay to say no or not be in the mood for sex? Absolutely. And it's one of those things that, and we'll talk about this, what are some legitimate reasons why you know, people say no yeah. to sex and that's not just for women, but for both men and women, there are reasons why I think that you want to look to at why you're saying no, you know, mm -hmm. is it something that is a genuine, you know, legitimate 
issue or are you saying no because you're really mad at your husband and this is a way to pay him back and so you're going to be passive aggressive with sex you know which is never helpful Mm -hmm. you know and but you sometimes see that in relationships it's just a byproduct of not communicating our needs well and so we tend to i don't know use sex against each other sometimes and that's not healthy but yes absolutely there are times we've talked about that we will talk more about when people just have a right to say no and it's okay and i think if we're on the flip side of that of the one receiving a no we need to be willing to i think the way i'd put it is deal honestly with our own reaction to it our own emotional response because it's it's so common for us to feel that that rejection is about us and immediately make it about well aren't i not good enough and don't Mm i have you know what you want all these things it's about me it's like I have to do this for myself because when I get a no, it's, it immediately becomes a very, the rejection and performance issues all get tied in. And I have to try to call a mental timeout and go, wait a minute, it's not always about me. Like, and to try to think about life from her perspective of what kind of day has she had and what's going on in her world. And you know what, if that was all true of my day, I might be saying no too. And to take a deep breath and not turn every sexual, um, uh, advancement into a measure of my worth and value because I think yeah. that's what we do like if we have sex I'm valuable I'm worth it I'm loved and if we don't there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. so just to deal honestly with our own emotional reaction to that is really important so that we can receive a no and not take it as a personal rejection yeah I think we'll get into this a little bit later too but that idea of understanding the other side of that too when a no is being communicated how that's being communicated that still adds value to that person that it's and it maybe that is an overcommunication of look it's not because i don't think you're attractive or because i love you or because i like having sex with you but it's because i've had one heck of a day and mm. your kids did this to me today you know what <laughs> i mean like something like that where you're you're and, and that takes energy right that takes mm-hmm. like investment of communicating and i think that that will also go a long way in the way that we communicate about sex yeah so along these lines, what a lot of our listeners might be hearing is the words from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. It gets pulled out in a lot of situations or contexts like this uh, that says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, often in the church, we've heard this passage taught that sex should not be withheld, especially by the wife, it seems. And mm-hmm. uh, there are times even maybe a, a husband or a wife might pull that out as like this wild card of, no, you you have to say yes. So <laughs> yeah. uh, what kind of thoughts do you guys have about the purpose of that verse and how can it rightly be applied in a relationship? I think that that's a great question because... Um, It is often misused, and it's one of those things that I think that, like you said, for women, that they feel like, okay, well, the Bible says that I have to have sex with my husband every time he wants sex. And, And that's not at all what that's saying. But I think that also withholding sex from your spouse is is not healthy, especially if it's something where it's not that agreed upon uh, time period. And it's one of those things, too, that that scripture to me is focusing on our health. Let's let's step back. Let's take sex off the table for however long we agree so that we both can be healthy, so we can get our minds in a healthy place and our hearts in a healthy place and maybe invest a little bit on our emotional connection before we come back together physically. Yeah, uh, I just think of the and I've totally had these attitudes um, for sure where it's used um, really as like a chip to get what I want. Like this is a this is a tactic I'm using in order to get what I want. And 
um, it's interesting how even in addiction you use what's true or what's biblical to mm-hmm. like finagle your way around, you know, these like loopholes to get what you want. Um, and so for me, I just feel, man, I feel really bad for the people who this has been used uh, in an abusive way. And I don't mean sexual abuse, but I just mean using it in a way where they didn't feel like they could say no. Um, and it really just, it makes me sad, but I think that we always have to go back to, and we've talked about this already, the motivations behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe maybe your marriage is in a place where sex hasn't been something that's on the table. And this is an absolutely important passage that needs to be addressed in your marriage. Like, look, this is something that isn't a part of our marriage. And to have that open and honest dialogue with grace, you know, being loving to each other and having that. But I think and this is just my experience growing up in the church, this is definitely used more from like a top-down kind of talking down to a wife or a spouse who sex maybe isn't a big deal to them or it's just they're in that kind of season. So I think that I just would say always go back to what's the motivation of bringing this passage up in this conversation, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a husband or a wife, Mm -hmm. whether you're a leader in the church, what's the motivation behind it? Yeah, you know, I think about if I were going around and saying to people, you're to serve one another out of love, so go shine my shoes or go do my work for me or go fetch me my suitcase, that I'm immediately abusing the whole purpose of that verse. Totally. I, I can't be the one demanding that you serve me in that way. And I think as a spouse, if we're the one saying, hey, you can't deprive me because the Bible says, I, I'm immediately twisting the purpose um, of that passage. And it really, to me, it's, it's for us to take that responsibility on ourselves uh, to recognize the biblical mandate that my body is not my own yeah. and I'm I'm here to focus on the needs of my spouse as they're here to focus on my needs. But if I'm telling you, you can't deprive me, I'm not actually focusing on your needs now. I'm focusing on mine. And that is immediately going against kind of the theme of not just this verse, but of all of scripture. The other thing that always comes to mind for me is I think we read in a 21st century version of sexuality into a first century scripture passage. Because what is Paul intending when he says, do not deprive one another? We read a 21st century sex-saturated, anytime you want, as often as you want kind of mindset. And I, I mean, I don't know exactly what Paul is referring to with the word do not deprive, but I'm, I'm guessing it's not the same kind of cultural context we have. Um, and that that much more sporadic kind of sexual relationship between husband and wife may have been very, very common in the first century. And so I I think we just have to make sure we're not reading into it what we want it to say, but we take it with, as you were saying, Heather, how do we be healthy and how do I apply this to myself, Mm -hmm. not demand it of you? Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, that could be a culture change in a church where you start to really view sexuality in that way, that it's not something, because I think, this is just my guess is that the perspective brought into this type of argument is usually a male dominated argument. Mm-hmm. It's usually coming from a man, I would guess in un- in unhealthy ways. So I'm not accusing anybody of this, but I just, the, the, to me, it seems more about the guy than it does both people and their sexual health yeah. together. I've, I've joked with couples in pre-marriage counseling and said, if he ever pulls out that card and says, you know, you, you're not supposed to deprive me that you can pull out to the wife. I'll say, Paul and say, well, you're supposed to love me like Christ loved the church and he died for her. So yeah. anytime you're willing to go die, then I'll yeah. be willing to not deprive you. <laughs> Basically, Jesus never had sex. So there you go. Like, we don't, okay, just you know, kidding. It, it just points out there's any number of Bible verses we could all pull out to totally. try to get what we yep. want. And yep. if yeah. we realize, oh, as soon as I'm doing that, I'm violating the yeah. Bible itself, yeah. then I think yeah. we can all back off and take a better view of it. 
So we've talked about this a little bit already, but what are, and, and Heather, you as, as a wife, I feel like you definitely have a perspective that we don't have in and a lot of this is really the theme of this is that difference between men and women and our understanding of sex and how it plays out in our life. But what are some legitimate reasons you guys have both seen or had for not having sex? So some that just are no-brainers are, you know, illness, injury, right. um, sleep deprivation. Nine months pregnant. Okay, nine months pregnant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just after having a baby, that's right. six to eight. Yeah, that's medical. That I know, yeah. and that's important. Yeah. But even when you look at, oh, and a woman on her period, mm-hmm. you know, and that's biblical. And um, <laughs> Wow. I know, just throwing it out there. And uh, But really, sleep deprivation, yeah. that one is huge. Yeah. I mean, it's like sometimes... It's that is going to be a make or break when it comes to whether or not you're going to have great sex or whether you're going to have disappointing sex. And so that I think could be a really good reason. Again, looking at the way that you communicate that is is another huge, huge thing in a marriage. Okay, I have another spur of the moment question. Um, Does every sexual experience between a husband and wife need to be like mind blowing like we crushed it, knocked it out of the park. Or is is it okay that sometimes it's not that way? Like I think that's a, that's a question a lot of people who are engaged, who are single, and then people who are married too. Is it's like, is it always going to be this, like does it need to keep getting better every single year? Or is it just not the same every time? I don't understand the question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she is quoting Mr. and Mrs. Smith right now. <laughs> So that is a great question. And again, that's going to depend on what's going on in your world. Because one of the things too, I mean, you can be having great sex in your marriage and then something happens that causes stress in your marriage. And man, it's going to hit your sex life like nothing else. And you're going to think, okay, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing all the same things. I don't seem to be able to connect. What is this? And it's stress. I mean, stress is totally a sex killer, but it's just one of those things that, again, you have to not take it just for the way that sex is playing out in your relationship, but okay, what what's going on in my world? What's going on in their world? What else could be a variable that's playing a role in our ability that's to good. connect? I think we have to be aware of our expectations because I think if we go into it with that expectation of it's always got to be getting bigger and better and greater and like no human couple can live up to that. I mean, sooner or later, you're going to hit a ceiling of, you know, we're not able to always make it bigger and better. But that's really the beauty of how God designed our brain to work, that in a committed monogamous relationship where there's healthy intimacy, I I believe we can actually have... um, you might call it a lesser experience or a very normal experience, but receive the same kind of pleasure hit. Uh, The other thing that this kind of exposes is if we've become focused on our own experience, again, we're misusing the purpose of sex because sex in a marriage is meant to be about connection and bonding and fun in mutuality. Mm -hmm. And usually when you ask that kind of question, uh, Trevor, or I hear other people do, what they're intending is for me first. Is Is it getting better and better for me? It's like, well, that that's kind of the wrong purpose or outcome of sex. Um, and, you know, and going back to the original question of like, when is it okay to say no? I, I think in the nature of what we deal with, if, if someone's desire for sex is fueled by their addiction and because they've been watching porn and now they want an outlet, like that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. If it's just um, all about what we said earlier, just kind of a magical way to fix the relationship and ignore our problems, it may actually be better to withhold for a while and deal with the situation mm-hmm. rather than diving in and hoping sex will fix it. So I, and I, I think another reason for no is if a person it doesn't feel like they 
trust you right now. Mm. If, if there's some trust issues, yeah. uh, sex and intimacy are really hard to engage in if, if there's some trust issues. And that, I hope for listeners, underscores why it is so important we deal with our sexual baggage because nothing creates trust issues in a marriage faster than yeah. our sexual brokenness and the yeah. struggles we have. Um, so we, we've got to deal with those things so that there's a healthy level of trust that can lead into intimacy. And then anybody who's in that situation, there's an episode that we recorded. It's episode 57. We recorded it with Bob and Rebecca Vandermeer, and the episode is Sex During Recovery. So if you're in that situation and wanting some more insight on that, feel free to go back and listen to that episode. So what does, I mean, we kind of talked about the the cautions and the scripture there and the no. On the flip side of it, what does a healthy conversation around sex and marriage look like? So this one is really hard for people until they figure it out, and then it becomes so freeing. Help us figure it out then. Okay, (laughs) Okay. so it's one of the things, too, that you think, okay, I don't know if I can be honest and open Mm -hmm. and vulnerable in in what I want or what I expect for sex to be. But yet at the same time, once you go there with your spouse and you have these really great conversations, it really is so freeing. And it it really, talk about taking sex to the next level, it is really, really empowering. And it can be really challenging at the same time, and it might take a little bit of time, but having those conversations is is really, really important. One of the things that we um, talked about at the last Pure Desire Women's Conference was we were talking about our sexuality and sex and what does that look like? And of course, this is all women, and so we can talk about the, you know, seven erogenous zones that women mm-hmm. have, and, you know, and, and then we talked about that communication you know and so many women came up to me after and said how do I start that conversation and you start it by simply saying did you know you tell your husband did you know that women have seven erogenous zones I didn't know that but I was wondering if you'd like to explore that with me I mean what guy (laughs) wouldn't love that exactly and so so, but it's women also I mean I encourage women all the time that you need Mm -hmm. to understand your body you need to understand what you like Mm -hmm. and and how you feel about things so that then you can communicate to your husband because I think that a lot of guys are going to be all on board with trying to figure it out together And, and that's the thing, like the, the older that I've gotten, the more healthy I've gotten sexually, that is where it's at. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as much about me. There are definitely selfish pockets, of course, but I think that the, the more that I have grown in my recovery and in my sexual health, the more I want to be pleasing to my wife. Mm-hmm. I want her to enjoy it just as much as I do, if, I mean, more actually. And so for sure, if that was a conversation, um, I, I mean, I don't know. In my friend zone, I know, I know zero husbands. So that would be like, um, I, no, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> I think, um, I think in the church, and this is definitely my experience. I grew up like sex was like a no-no conversation, and so it's interesting because you go from hearing that from your family and from the church and from your friend group, and then you are exposed to pornography, which is like the polar opposite. And then you get married, and you realize it's it's actually got to be somewhere in the middle. Like communication has to happen. It's not going to be like porn because that is not sex. That is something completely different. Um, but then it's also not this. You have to keep this like tight lipped, no conversation. Like you're really quiet while you're having sex kind of thing. Like it just is a really interesting dynamic. And so I feel like for me, I was set up in a lot of ways. 
and, and some of it is definitely my own doing. I was set up for failure when I walked into marriage because mm-hmm. I was expecting sex to be kind of both and, and it's really not. And so mm-hmm. I, I like what you're saying, Heather. It's the idea of just have the conversation, just start the conversation. Yes. And it's going to be super awkward. It's like the first yes. time when you get married, the first time you've had sex, it's going to be weird. It's not going to be exactly what you thought, but you just have to kind of enjoy the process as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing, uh, I'm just, I'm finding it's weird and it's uncomfortable, but having those conversations, what I'm hearing you say is super important mm-hmm. because that's how you start is you just start. I think I've found too, that it can be healthy in conversations to not be trying to have them right around the time of having sex right? because that pressure of like, Oh, cause he wants sex. That's why he's bringing it up. Or she wants to have these, uh, things tried. And so now she's bringing it up. So at a time when there's no expectation that we're going to even have sex right now, obviously when your kids aren't around and your <laughs> privacy to talk, I'm writing like, that down right to, now, to, by to the bring way, up conversations <laughs> of, Hey, what, what do you enjoy? Mm-hmm. What are things that you like? What are things that I haven't done that you wish I would, or that I did one time a year ago and forgot about, and you'd like me to do again. And, um, at a time when you can think and talk and process, and then at the end, you don't go have sex immediately. I mean, for some people that might work, yeah. but I think in my relationship uh, for my wife, that always creates this pressure situation. Like, okay, now we got to go do all these things. And, and that might work for you. That's great. But I just, I think when there's no pressure mm-hmm. in the moment to go anywhere with it, other than we're just talking, we're connecting that actually can create some better dialogue and back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that too for women that I don't know why a lot of women struggle with having a voice in the bedroom, but man, if, if your husband is, is, you know, doing things that you like, vocalize that, tell him, you know, those are things that again, will make your sex life so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked a lot about sexual health, obviously, and, and we've talked through some practical things. I think the, the big question really for me is how, what are ways that we can improve? Uh, obviously, have sex more is an easy answer. That's not what I'm looking for. Like, what are ways we can improve the health of our sex life in our marriage? So I think that that's a great question and really just getting to a point in your relationship where you feel like, you know what, we ha- we have good sex, even if you already have good sex, but, but what would it look like to have better sex? I think that that is an important thing to evaluate. And sometimes it starts with simple things like minimizing stress. And I know that that seems kind of odd. Nick, you mentioned earlier about how men looking at the motivation that men, it's easier to, for them to want sex, but then for women, you know, it might, they might want this emotional connection instead. And, but you know, a lot of women are not going to want sex when they still have a bunch of things still left on their list, like laundry to fold or dishes to do, or, you know, even some things that have to do with the kids. And so if, if guys can recognize that and, and come at it, like, you know, I thought that sex might be a really good idea tonight. So, you know, what can I do to help you check things off your list? Or how can I help you, you know, so that she then feels like you're trying to have an emotional connection with her first before you're trying to have a sexual connection. Sometimes those things are are a lot easier and, and simple, simple things for a couple to do. Yeah, I think of the importance of a regular date night, you know, Mm -hmm. and whether or not that leads to sex on that night, it's just that value of building into your relationship, showing value to one another, both with your time and your energy to go out Mm -hmm. and be a couple. And, And the way that creates a byproduct of sexual intimacy, because you're regularly connecting outside of the home and the routine. So 
Um, don't neglect that because it has positive benefits, I believe. And the other thing that if you'd have told me you know, as a 22 year old newly married guy, I would ever be saying this, I would have been like, come on. <laughs> but I find having a plan is really important because mm-hmm. we give this ideal or get this ideal from culture that sex is just always spontaneous and you're in the mood. And so yeah. it happens. But yeah. like when you've got jobs and kids and sports and a house and like it, it, it's it's really difficult to be, quote unquote, spontaneous and yeah. in the mood. But if, if you're able to say like, so for me, I'm learning, it, it's a long, slow process, but learning like if I am feeling a desire to connect with my wife in that way, it's best not to wait till 10 p.m. to then be like, hey, you know, are you, yeah. here we go, right? <laughs> yeah. But maybe in an appropriate way during the day to just say, hey, you know, I, I'm finding myself really drawn to you. I'm hopeful for sex. And, yeah. you know, do you think it'll happen mm-hmm. tonight? And my wife's a processor, so she can think about it. And she might find she starts to plan on it and kind of prepare and think through mm-hmm. and what will that look like and getting kids to bed and having this done yeah. or it may not even be the right night and that's great but but now to say you know and that can show some sensitivity on my part if I'm like hey I'd, I know we're both having kind of a long stressful day but it seems like tomorrow night we don't have a whole lot going on and what do you think about some couple time and maybe having sex together well now we're we're making a plan that then is more likely to happen and again a plan isn't a promise or a guarantee totally so i have to be careful of that it's like well there was a plan and you that's a promise <laughs> what well, happened no, no one promised <laughs> life happens yeah. but it does create more yeah. space in our life yeah, for that good. to be done in a meaningful way and yeah. not just believe it always needs to be spontaneous and we're in the mood so um like I said, those are things I'm learning and working on yeah. myself, but I'm finding really make a difference in our relationship. Well, and that's what porn taught me is that the novelty of it, right? It, it it basically trained my brain to assume that sex was like when I wanted it, how I wanted it. And so I think that that in a lot of ways, that's what deters and, and had for a long time deterred me from the, the planning. It's like, well, that's not what I see in the movies and that's not what porn is. Like the woman pursues the man, you know, all this different stuff. And so I think that in a lot of ways, especially in recovery, being able to identify those unhealthy truths, I guess, or really not mm-hmm. truths. We believe that they are, but they're lies about what it is, identifying those and then starting to reframe into what's true and what's real. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, this is all good. I'm, I'm taking notes over here. So <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So kind of a unique question here to just think about uh, that in, a, in marriage, it's it's two people and we may be limited in our experience. We might not have a whole lot of context to have some of these conversations. So what role should other people have in helping us develop a healthy sex life in marriage? So this is a great question because so much of what we do at Pure Desire is that we teach people the value of community and and how we need in recovery, we need other people. But you know what? In life, we need other people. And so this, you know, your sex life is is another area where you might need some input from other people. But something to just keep in mind, a couple things. Um, First off is ask your spouse. Have a conversation with your spouse first about if you, and and really just tell your spouse your motivation. You know, that I'm just curious what's out there, what other, you know, men or women do in this area. And so would it be okay with you if I talked with this person and be specific who you're going to talk about or talk with. You don't have to give a lot of details of your relationship, but but sometimes I think that people 
for whatever reason, what they were grown up with or what they've seen in porn, that they don't know what normal is, you know, or they don't know what, what, you know, couples should do. Or, you know, I can't tell you the amount of women that I've come, that I've talked to at the conferences and they say, I feel so much shame every time I have sex with my husband. And I think that that's so sad, you know? And so if we can get to a place where, where we can have a couple, you know, Mm -hmm. one or two close, trusted friends or Mm -hmm. mentors that, that we can go to and we can have these conversations with them that's awesome but again talk to your spouse make sure that they feel that it's a safe person as well and and that they know your motivation and you know what i mean i think that that's a huge part with with this piece of it well it's just so funny to me because pretty much all other pieces or areas of life we're okay including other people mm-hmm. into our development or our growth. But right. when it comes to this, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You have to figure this out on your own. Right. Like, you know, it's basically like, and that in some ways it's playful, right? It's just like, go have fun and learn and that's okay. But then when it gets to a point where you're at a sticking point and you don't know, you know, really how to grow or how to basically how to improve your sex life mm-hmm. or your connection, then it's just like, well, everyone told me that this is just something we have to figure out. And then that can just really that develop really unhealthy habits and there's no communication. And so for me, it's similar to anything else in life that I allow other people to speak in. And what I found is that that helps me develop and grow in those areas. And and not only because I think that a lot of this too, and I, I've learned this recently where I, I was having some conversations and, you know, I've got um, some friends who sex is like once a month mm-hmm. and they are good with it. They're good. Like they they enjoy it. It's a good pace. And for me, when I first heard that, I was like, what? Like, they need what? Intervention. <laughs> yeah. What is happening? But that was like in unhealth. I was, I was basically I had these expectations of what it should be. And so finding that groove and understanding, um, understanding what's right for you guys comes mm-hmm. with having conversation and learning that there are different ways and different seasons and different approaches to sex in relationship, in marriage. And so for me, that was helpful because it helped me reframe it a little bit, gave me a new paradigm that it doesn't have to be a certain number. Mm -hmm. It's more about the quality and the connection that's there. And that couldn't have happened if I wouldn't have asked. Really, at that point, it was a scary question to ask, but Mm -hmm. asking that question helped me uh, to really reframe some things. Yeah, and I think we need to make sure we're going to healthy sources. I mean, if we're turning to pornography or Cosmo magazine or a lot of things that are out there that are going to portray a very unrealistic, worldly driven. And and by worldly, I don't mean like the worldly is a negative, but I would say just really self-focused. How do I create more pleasure for me? And uh, that there are really reliable, trusted Christian sources you can go to to get a a good book or listen to a talk, uh, a podcast, radio show by other Christian speakers that could really provide some input on this. Um, And then I I think, too, about the value of us as parents, as we're listening and learning and getting healthy in our sex life, to be willing to start having those conversations with our kids. Mm -hmm. Now, not when they're super young, but as you're starting to have older teens and college age and they're looking at relationships and marriage, like they should be hearing from you about things like positions and frequency and and just having, not that you have to be the answer man or answer mom, but to have some honest, open conversations so that they feel like, oh, this is a real safe conversation Mm -hmm. and I can disciple my children. You know, that's really, if you look at Jewish history, not only did the community have a role in young men and women getting married, but the parents' role in discipling their kids sexually was really, really prevalent. So I, I find that ironic that in a culture that was far less sexual than ours, they were far more involved in the life of their kids 
kids and their relational sexual development versus ours where we're the opposite, far more sexual in our culture, but much more quiet in relationship with our kids. So I, I think as you're becoming healthy, to just remember that needs to translate into having some of these conversations mm-hmm. at appropriate times and ways with your older kids so that you hopefully bless them with a better starting point than most mm-hmm. of us had yeah. because we did get the, well, good luck, go figure it out. And then <laughs> it's kind of trial and error and a lot of pain and frustration versus could could we pour into our kids some principles and ideas just like we're talking about today mm-hmm. that might give them a healthier starting point and really yeah. bless them yeah. for a lifetime mm-hmm. of marriage. Yeah. Uh, this was great. This was a better conversation I thought it would be. Like I thought it was going to be awesome, but this is cool because I think that there are so many people in the world who want to have this conversation but don't know how to start it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thankful to be sitting at the table with people who are willing to have that conversation. And yeah, I just think that uh, one thing that just thematically through this episode has been communication is really important. Yeah. Talking about it, not just with your spouse, but with other people and, and having this be a part of um, part of the culture and what we communicate about. Um, and I love Nick that you're talking about kids because I think that's really important. Um, the idea of changing the culture now so that our mm-hmm. kids don't have to go into marriage thinking, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know who to talk to. Uh, so this was, this was awesome. Thank you both for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, good stuff. Cool. Thanks, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Peer Desire Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe, download, and share. You can also rate and review our podcast. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for others to find the podcast. If you'd like to support the message of hope and healing in developing sexual integrity, go to puredesire.org slash give. And for more information about the ministry, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can also follow us on social media, at puredesirepdmi. Once again, that's at puredesirepdmi. We'll see you next time.